Well, lo and behold, there he stands with his tablet in one hand and his pen and ink in the other and his great big dark rim glasses peeking on the edge of his nose, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How you doing? Well, my friend, I am great. I'm getting excited. Thanksgiving is around the corner and then Christmas is around the corner, my favorite time of the year. Oh, yeah, I love it. And we've had a great fall good football seasons i mean it's great well great football season uh, except for the green bay packers they're going through quarterbacks like i change my boots every now and then <laughs> well i'm referring to the Declo team they're uh, they're moving ahead oh i know they are great squad over there nice kids yeah. Yeah. well what are you going to entice us with today well speaking of sports uh-huh. i heard you speaking this morning a little bit about sports so we're going to talk about Indian athletics. Yeah, you mentioned this last week, and you really piqued my interest because you said back in the old days the Indians actually had referees and they actually oh, yeah. had organized games. Yes, and I'm going to talk about some sports that are going to resemble lacrosse, football, one called hoop and roll, another one that's called jousting and basketball, another one called swimming and volleyball. Mm, well, go ahead. Combined. All right. So... But, you know, back in those days, uh, competitive games among the North American Indians was fierce. I mean, the battle, uh, just about like on the battlefield. I mean, the preparation and the enthusiasm. I mean, there was rival uh, uh, tribe uh, things going on, and uh, they could rival anything here like a Burley Minico game or whatever. But there was one game that was called Anetsa, and I'm going to go along here and try to describe this a little bit, but... This was a tribal sport uh, of the early Cherokees, and it was in North Carolina, and it grew, uh, grew from a religious festival ceremony into a very complex, highly organized sport. Uh, weeks were spent training for the, these important contests, and what happened was a medicine man, he would take the players to a stream where uh, he would do uh, mystic rites, and he would scratch the bodies of the participants with thorns until their skins were covered with blood, he would chant special incantations to bring about the defeat or the disability or the death of particular rivals. Um, the final training session before a game was an all-night dance. The competitors were required to fast from the time the dance began until the game was over. Now, the side of the game was not revealed until the last minute because they didn't want uh, one team having an advantage over the other. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're going too fast because I have a question. Okay. Do you mean to tell me that they physically abused their players, they scratched them and made them bleed, and they made them stay up all night, and then they expected them to beat the other rival tribe the next day? Who in the heck is the coach of this outfit? (laughs) That's a good question. There's a few out there we could probably suggest, but I'm not going to. Um, Anyway, after this, uh, they they had a ceremonial measuring of the playing field by the shaman or the, the head guy. And then the important part of this whole thing was the staking of wagers or the betting. I mean, they would bet dresses, blankets, pots, kettles, knives, dogs, horses. And uh, the Indian women, uh, uh, you know, they, they were right in there uh, betting with the, with the Braves. And so here we have the Braves. They filed out onto the field. Uh, with uh, they'd have their breech claws on and a head belt and a, or a, a, you know a headband and uh, anyway 
So here we have the, if you can picture this, the beating of the drums. Each team performed a ceremonial dance, and they'd strike their sticks together and sing loudly. The women of each party performed a separate dance, and they were chanting uh, appeals to the great spirit for victory. Uh, the Cherokees, now in this particular sport, which I'm going to, uh, if you can imagine lacrosse. Now, I, I don't know anything about lacrosse. I've seen many games. Okay, yeah. I have no idea what the rules are, but this is kind of what we're looking at here. Okay. So they used 9 to 12 players on a team, and the challengers furnished the ball. The first team to get to 12 goals, they won the game. Now, the game began when a shaman tossed on the field a ball made of deer skin stuffed with deer hair. Now, the players would scramble for this ball, attempting to catch it in the, the ring pocket, of, mm -hmm. like a lacrosse. Do they call it a racket? Yeah, well, I think so, yeah. I'm not sure about all the terminology, yeah. Okay, so they'd attempt to catch it in this pocket uh, at the end of their stick, and then the ball was either carried across the opposing goal or hurled between the goalposts, yep. which were set about six feet apart and connected by a crossbar, uh, about 25 feet above the ground. So this, these were the goalposts, about, it says about 50 rods apart. Now, in this game, about anything was allowed, but you could not touch the ball with your hands. Mm -hmm. uh, and you were not supposed to hit the other guy over the head with your stick or hit him with on the hand. Oh, they were more... You can they, run him over. They were more advanced in the rules than hockey is today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could, you could do quite a bit. Now, here's the kicker, though. When either party cheats... A foul is called by the opposite party, and the game stops until the judges decide. Now, no one thinks of disputing the judge's decision, and there's no appeal. There's no instant replay. That's so, what they decide is, that's, that's it. What would they do to the guy that committed the foul? I mean, what would they do? Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't say. I, I guess they just kept, kept playing. So. Huh. Okay. Anyway, now, there was another, uh, Indians living in the Great Lakes, they were not limited to 12 pay players. Uh, sometimes they would <laughs> actually have hundreds running about and jumping over people's heads, tripping, throwing, fouling, uh, scuffles over the ball, developed sometimes into fights. Sounds like uh, a Lions-Packer game on Thanksgiving. <laughs> and then when the women folk weren't satisfied with the efforts of their uh, players, they'd go out onto the field, and they'd whip their warriors with birch switches. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Stop for just a second. You're telling me that the squaws would go out onto the field with uh, birch switches, you said? Yeah. And What's beat the, the players? Yeah, tell them to get going. Where's the incentive on their contract to play this stupid game? <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's bragging rights, I guess, oh. but... You know, the, the season began in the middle of the summer, and it lasted until the cold weather set in. But the biggest games, I guess, just like, uh, you know, the Rose Bowl and all that, uh, games were held in the autumn right until uh, after the corn was harvested. And uh, Now, an interesting thing, the best runners and scorers were frequently killed before the end of the season because their opponents having ganged up on them to reduce the competition. Wait, whoa, whoa, stop again. There you go. You're making okay. a point. You mean to tell me that it was legal to kill the other team? Well, I'm not sure if they actually did it during the game or before or after or somewhere along the line. They would gang up, but I think it was actually during the game. They would kind of whack him around and, you know, either... Uh, get him out of the after the season or out for good. Well, they didn't really need to have a medicine man, did they? <laughs> they didn't. Uh, 
but uh, you know, legs and arms were often broken. Uh, but Holy it says that you know, after the game, there was no resentment uh, after an accident. Uh, quote accident. Um, there, there was one particular incident that took place though in uh, 1763. Um, the Indians were pretty smart. They uh, were the British were trying to uh, control them and. And so they said, hey, let's invite the British guys over to watch one of our games. And so the British, they were standing around watching one of their games. And just so happens that the Indians, uh, uh, in the course of play, the ball kind of landed near the open gates of the fort. And uh, lo and behold, the Warriors watching the game and the players dashed into the fort and took control of it. Now, nobody can accuse these British of being real sharp, can they? <laughs> no, but the Indians were. Yeah. So, um, anyway, the, the, uh, so the French settlers in Canada, they, when they saw this game, they thought that this, uh, the stick or the whatever it is that they had resembled, resembled the, uh, cro- a bishop's crozier, you know, the cross that, yeah, yeah. that a bishop carries. Yeah. And so they termed it la crosse. Um, so that's where we get that. Now, there's a couple of interesting points to be made here. I did not know, honestly, you shocked me last week, that they had organized sports among the Indian tribes. Yeah. And you talk about rough. Why in the world would somebody want to grow up and try to be <laughs> a lacrosse player? The future as a running back is limited. Well, let me get to some of these other sports. <laughs> Uh, the Apaches had a, a, a different kind of sport. Oh, boy. Uh, I mean, they had joust, uh, swimming, matches, javelin. And wait a minute. There, wait a minute, Doc. There's no water down where the Apaches lived. How could they oh. go swimming? <laughs> they must have dammed up something. <laughs> <laughs> but they were best at a game called Pelota. Pelota. Okay? Now, this game resembles present-day football. <laughs> but Pelota was played with 14 men instead of 11, and a rock was used instead of a big stick. Oh, this is going to get good. <laughs> the objective was not to cross the opponent's goal carrying the rock, but to force him to cross his own goal carrying the rock. Now, nothing was barred on this. An opponent, opponent could be knocked unconscious and carried across the goal, and sometimes the game was played with horses. A player could be roped, dragged up and down the field or across until he finally consented to cross his goal. How dare people sit and moan and gripe and complain about how rough the NFL is today? It's a wussy game compared to the Apaches. Yeah, but see, this was kind of a dis- If you lost, it was a disgrace. I mean, the relatives, basically, he was dismissed from the tribe. Now, if a player was unconscious or dead at the time of the crossing, then it was okay. He wasn't disgraced. <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> if he was unconscious or dead at the time when they took him across the goal with the rock, it was okay. No disgrace. Yeah, well, that's the big deal. Yeah, he's dead. Yeah. And a similar thing here, to pre- prepare for the games, uh, the Apache Braves would have been known to walk through the briars and rolling thorns and so they were covered with blood, and teammates would flog each other to uh, stimulate the, the adrenaline, and they'd drag each other across the fields and streams to toughen up their bodies. Well, well Doc, I'm telling you, uh, these people were the precursor to a lot of our sports today, but I don't remember seeing uh, back in my day of football Mike Ditka or uh, Paul Horning uh, being dragged through thorns just before a Packers and a Bear game. <laughs> no. Now, so, okay, so that, now we've got lacrosse, now we've got rock football. 
Now here's the next game. It's called Hoop and Pole. Oh, this is going to be good. Now, this one, I, I'm having a hard time understanding this one. Uh, it was played on a pavement uh, type of clay that was used for this purpose, and it was smooth and hard uh, like a floor, and they would pay, have two guys that were kind of the head guys, and they would kind of choose their, their players, and bets were made. Now, this, they had a little ring that was three or four inches in diameter cut out of stone. Mm, cut out of stone? Pulled, yeah, out of stone. Oh. Now, then they had a stick that was about six feet long. Now, what they would do is they'd roll this stone in front of them, and uh, each guy would attempt to throw his stick so that the rock would, when it fell, it would fall on his stick. And I, I don't quite understand this, but it's kind of hard to describe. But according to what I'm reading, they say it was a really a, a kind of a graceful, uh, you know, it wasn't a real blood and guts type sport. Sounds to me like a lot of medicine men were pretty high on peyote before they come <laughs> up with these games. Well, the, the bad thing was the gambling. I mean, gambling? Uh, when they would gamble, they would give up everything, including offering themselves to be a slave to the other tribe. Holy buckets. So, you know, they, so the wagering was, was a huge thing. I mean, the loser, you know, sometimes fights would get going, uh, and sometimes the loss of many warriors. Uh, but uh, it, to prevent this, it was long ago determined that no warrior should be present with his weapons, knives uh -huh. or bow and arrow, anything like that. Well, the same is true today. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay. Uh, and the other thing is this game uh, was always played a distance from camp. They had three prominent warriors that were named as judges. And here again, when their decision was made, there was no appeal. Uh, and they were not allowed to bet, uh, contrary to some things in our, in our area. Uh, or, you know, in our day, th these guys were not allowed to bet on the game. What, what, so they were completely uh, neutral. What about cheerleaders? You said something last week that they had cheerleaders. What did they do, shake beaver pelts or something, for heaven's well, sakes? These are ones that went, or would run out and beat the guys on the back. Holy smokes, the Dallas Cowgirl cheerleaders aren't like that. No, but the reason that we're, and now again, there was a, at this particular game, women were forbidden to be present because they always caused a little confusion and they were taking sides. And Well, they still do, game. Doc. You know that as well as I do. <laughs> I've never seen a woman yell at a ball game, but you? Yep. <laughs> but the, the women would actually play this game of hoop and roll, or hoop and pole also. Uh, so, now here's another one. I know we're running out of time. I've got two more sports here. Oh, my goodness. This one is called Jousting Basketball. Oh, this is a good game. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> okay. Now, this was the Arapaho Indians, and, you know, they spent most of their lives on horseback, and their sports were typical of the Plains Indians. The Arapahoes played a game which was kind of a combination of jousting and basketball. They'd have two horsemen, each carrying a spear with a jagged edge, and they would charge at a ball made of soft wood. Mm -hmm. Now, the ball was placed at an equal distance from each rider, the field about 2,000 yards long. The object was to pierce the ball, transport it to the point of origin, and throw it with the javelin through a hoop made of wild cherry branches. Wow. Each basket counted for one point, and five points won the game. Holy cow! Are you with me on that one? I, well, I can't wait to get out on my horse after the program and try it. Okay. Now, there's a couple of reasons why scores were low. One, uh, accidents often happened, and an Arapaho horseman 
frequently lanced his opponent rather than the ball. Oh, this is not good. <laughs> no. And second, the two opponents had to engage in an elaborate sun dance after each point was nope. scored. Uh, uh, and sometimes this dance lasted for hours, and, and the athletes were joined by the uh, ritual societies of the men in the tribe, and sometimes the contest went on for several days just to get to five points. Kind of like what they do in the NFL with the uh, touchdown dance. <laughs> yeah, only three or four, you know, from hours, you know, uh, and everybody joined in. Oh, so, my goodness. But the young, the young Arapahoes were prepared for this sport from when they were just young, young boys. Uh, a boy of six or seven years old would be tied uh, to a pony's back and made to ride until the skin from his rear end and thighs had kind of been pretty well worn. Oh. And that's how they kind of trained these boys to, to be ready to, to play this jousting basketball game. No, no, just a minute, though, because when you think about this, here you got these two guys jousting uh, at each other, and you said a lot of times they missed the so-called ball and they would stab the other guy. Right. Okay. Now, who would want to be a backup player? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You know, if I'm on the bench, I want to be at the end of the bench. I don't want to be a reserve. No, I don't want to be sitting next to the coach. Nope. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, before these games, before this joust thing, a brave was prohibited from seeing his family for about seven days and from speaking to anyone for a day before the game. And then a half day before the contest began, his head was covered with a hood. Now, this hood could not be removed until he got on his horse and the action started. That's when they pulled the hood off and away you go. Wait a minute. What was the purpose of the hood? So the guy couldn't see know. anything? I don't know. You're coming up with some really weird rules here, Dr. History. And, and, now, and here's another deal. After the game, the winner was assigned a special place among the Chiefs. The loser, if he survived was actually painted in bright colors and welcomed by all members of his tribe to show that the Arapahoes accepted him in spite of his defeat if he was still alive. If, if he was still alive. Okay. Oh, my. Right, i got one more here <laughs> real quick. I know we're running out of time. This is what I call swimming volleyball. Oh, my. Okay. okay. This was a mixture of swimming volleyball and skin diving. Okay, they took a weighted leather-covered ball, and it was thrown into a river or lake. Seven players from either team dived after it. Now, the object was to recover it before it touched the bottom. Uh-huh. Okay, now, if a player caught the ball before it hit the bottom, he carried it underwater to a place assigned before the game, and then, with the help of his teammates, he tried to throw or hurl this ball over a vine or a net that was suspended across the bottom, the, the water's bottom. Okay, how heavy was the ball? I, I don't know. It just says, you know, uh, uh, it, was a, it was just a, a ball. Did a lot of these guys not come up? <laughs> I don't know, you know. But should the ball fall too fast and hit the bottom before somebody got to it, they would just start again. How would they know? Well, you know, back then the rivers and lakes were clear. You could see. Uh. I, I wouldn't want to be the referee. You'd be down there for quite a while. I would say. <laughs> but sometimes these would last a whole week, and uh, the players would only stop for meals or when it was dark. Well, I can just hear one brave saying to the other, where's Atahay? Well, he's at the bottom of the water over there. He's been down there since Wednesday. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> he's over there somewhere. <laughs> but they, the mothers would actually train these little kids from birth. They would, A lot of times they'd take their little newborn kids and put them into water uh, to kind of toughen their skin and... Uh, this was actually, as far as endurance, probably the toughest of all the sports because, again, you had to hold your breath. You were swimming underwater. You were carrying this, this heavy ball to try to get it up and over. You know, Plus, you had guys trying to block 
you getting your ball over the net. I mean, uh, so that was kind of an interesting sport. The best job on the whole team would be a trainer. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and you know they had they had probably other sports that I haven't even mentioned yet. But uh, holy um, Anyway, those are just some of the ones I thought were were kind of fascinating. And you know, as we speak, I'll bet you there's some person in the audience that's going to devise a new league where we're going to try to get a ball off the bottom of the Snake River. <laughs> you got to be able. To, you got to be able to see it first. <laughs> This has been one of your most interesting programs ever. I really give you kudos on this, but I can't imagine why anybody would want to, quote-unquote, try out for the team. Well, it was strictly a glory, honor, you know. I mean, uh, bragging rights, you know. Uh, you're right. I mean, sometimes you uh, to win, you had to be dead. <laughs> Man, there's a lot of glory in that, isn't there? unconscious hail to the victors (laughs) oh man you did it again I tell you that was one of the most interesting you've ever had and that was great Dr. History and all about games that we don't want our kids to play that's right God bless you man thanks for a great week Uh, you have a good day it was great thank you Dr. History better known as Dr. Ken Turner excellent this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.